is it now the time to leave or is it time to stay? And for me, you know, I had done so many of the things that I came to do in Springfield, was able to help a lot of folks, but also saw an opportunity to pass the baton to a new generation and a new style of leadership, uh, which I think is really important. Hello, and welcome to the Cloudcast. I'm Ben Zielinski, and we'll be your host this week. This week on the Cloudcast, I sat down with House Majority Leader Greg Harris as he prepares for his final days as a member of the House. Harris announced last year he would not run for re-election and would retire from the General Assembly in January at the end of the 102nd General Assembly. Harris was first elected to the House in 2006 and rose through the ranks to be Majority Leader in 2019. He is one of the first members of the General Assembly who is openly gay and lives with HIV. Harris has been a key figure in key pieces of legislation over the last 15 years and most recently led Democrat budgets through the House. Now here's my interview with House Majority Leader Greg Harris. House Majority Leader Greg Harris, a Democrat from the north side of Chicago, joins me on the Cloutcast today. Thank you for being here, Leader. And thanks for having me, Ben. Now you've been in Springfield for over 15 years now. Why did you decide now was the right time to step away? But yeah, you know, every two years, you know, we have to pass petitions again, and that gives you a chance to think about, you know, is it now the time to leave or is it time to stay? And for me, you know, I had done so many of the things that I came to do in Springfield, was able to help a lot of folks, but also saw an opportunity to pass the baton to a new generation and a new style of leadership, uh, which I think is really important because, you know, the General Assembly is uh, changing so much. You know, we have a new speaker. I think, you know, it was an opportunity then for our district to have new representation and for me to step back. Now, the person taking over for you in the House, Han Wynn, has been viewed as one of the most impressive candidates running for office this past year. He knocked on so many doors, received 90 percent of the vote in his district. Tell me just a little bit about what you see in him and how your district is going to be represented. Yeah, I, I think people in my district are very lucky to have him. I mean, he's just incredibly energetic. He's just a mass of energy and of excitement and you know, trying to learn and you know, uh, ma- master the job. Um, you know, I, I think also a lot of folks who felt that you know maybe in the past their voices were not heard and represented as, mu- as much are now going to see in him somebody who can go to Springfield and you know advocate for them along with the rest of our district. Uh, he's, you know, I've noticed as we work together, you know, incredibly quick learner. You know, he's also you know very politically shrewd. He's already figuring out, you know. When is it? When is it time to make deals? When is it time to you know stand on your principles? Uh, so I think he's going to be a very good legislator. Now, looking at your career a little bit, being in office for so long, serving as majority leader, you've had a chance to be part of some of the state's most important pieces of legislation. What will you remember most about your time in office? Um, the the people who you know I hope we've helped uh, when, when I started there were a, a, a couple things issues that, that I started to work on that I didn't know that much about one was you know, you know homeless youth in the state of Illinois that uh, back then and I'm sure the number has grown substantially uh, on any given day there were twenty one thousand you know homeless kids in Illinois you know, about a third in the city a third in the suburbs a third downstate. They had very few resources. There were not people advocating for them. And to be able to work with young people and organizations to 
you know, give massive funding increases to support them, make sure they had housing, have better access to education, expand their ability to access health care. That, that, that was just a really important thing that I've loved being a part of. Uh, <clears throat> working with the Metropolitan Breast Cancer Task Force was another thing I did early on to begin to re- reduce the uh, racial disparities in breast cancer treatment and mortality. You know, seeing in my district, you know, how many women uh, were not being equally served and then being able to, you know, build out an infrastructure across the state to you know, help improve outcomes. Those were, you know, really important things. And of course, the thing I worked on for years was passing marriage equality in the state of Illinois. And, um, you know, uh, looking at what's happening with the Supreme Court, I think it's doubly good that the state of Illinois has this in our law. Uh, because uh, families will be protected here regardless of what the Supreme Court decides. There will be some who speculate that your decision to retire might have something to do with the scrutiny former House Speaker Mike Madigan faces. Did what's happening to him have any impact on your decision in any way? No, I think the uh, the thing that did have an impact on my decision was the change of speakers to our new uh, House Speaker, you know, Chris Welch, you know, who represents you know, again a new generation of leaders, you know, a, a a group of Illinoisans who've not been represented in leadership before. So I really consider it an honor to have been able to you know work with him on budget and health care and leadership in the House for his ter- first term. But now it's time to pass the baton to new folks. Yeah, you had a chance to work with former Speaker Madigan. Now you have a chance to work with Speaker Welch. Is there any, I guess, noticeable differences to you, I guess, as far as how the House runs and you know what's what's been your impression of Speaker Welch's first term so far? I, I think, you know, by, by every measure you could look at, you know, Speaker Welch has been a success. You know, if you look at uh, you know, the financial situation of the state, you know, how it has improved, how we've been able to expand you know, access to health care, how we've been able to add the funding to education and reduce uh, reliance of our public schools on you know, property taxes. You know, that's improved. And we're now embarking on uh, passing gun control and protecting reproductive rights, which makes you know, Illinois sort of a beacon for the rest of the country. So you know, his, his first couple of years have been tremendous successes by you know, every stretch of the you know, measurement. Now, you were a close ally of the former speaker. You worked very closely with him in caucus leadership. Seeing just what's happened over the last year, do you have any regrets about supporting him? You know, when you're in leadership, you're there to serve the caucus. And there are other things going on in the courts, and you know those will you know play out as you know the federal you know, uh, justice process moves on, and we'll see what develops from that. Looking at, I guess, just the changes within your own caucus, um, there's been a there's been a lot since Speaker Madigan departed and Speaker Welch took over. Um, is there anything that has been just a noticeable difference between? the leadership styles between the two as far as how your caucus is, is functioning, what is being prioritized as far as legislation? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously when you've had somebody in place in a leadership role for decades and a new person comes along, you know, it, it's always going to be 
a big shift. And uh, this was a major change in how our caucus has, has done things. It's something, you know, the caucus wanted as well. It's a, you know, much more bottom-up process, I think, under Speaker Welch than it was under Speaker Madigan. Uh, we also have our, our sub-caucuses, you know, which are, you know, groups like the Black Caucus, Latino Caucus, the Asian Caucus, the Women's Caucus, the Moderate Caucus, the Downstate Caucus, and, you know, a whole bunch of others who are, are more active now and organized in shaping policy from the ground up than they were before. Yeah, I think you pointed out an important um, thing about your caucus and just the amount of diversity as far as the different caucuses. You also have a pretty decent amount of age diversity with a lot of, especially in this election, newer and younger members coming into politics, some for the first time. How is that sort of diversity, I guess, impacting Democrats' agenda in the General Assembly, do you believe? I think you know you, you, you're you're seeing a, a lot more focus on uh, new 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 viewpoints, new more progressive viewpoints on how to accomplish a lot of the same goals you know that Democrats you know have strived for uh, over the years. I think you're seeing though the, the same amount of support for you know organized labor, and you know, same amount of support for uh, environmental justice for. Uh, women's rights, reproductive rights, LGBT rights, um, but people are coming. You know, people are have come to the legislature, and they always have with their own lived experiences. And you know, people of my generation have a whole different set of lived experiences and perspectives on how to do things than younger people. And I think that's good. So you know, I, I think we're we're still going to be fighting for the things that you know everyday Illinoisans want in their lives and fighting to protect diversity and inclusion. But I think a lot of the approaches are going to be new and you know thought thought through in different ways. Yeah, talking about those lived experiences, you came into the General Assembly as the first openly gay lawmaker, the first person to be open about living with HIV. You've led, as you mentioned earlier, two very important pieces of legislation leading to the legalization of same-sex marriage in Illinois. What did that mean to you on a personal level? Uh, well, first of all, I, I just want to always you know, recognize my predecessor, Larry McKeon, who was the first openly gay person elected to the legislature. Uh, and I was able to uh, succeed him. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah, in any of us, you know, who have been marginalized in our lives, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. And it's an amazing victory to be able to knock down yet one more barrier. And I think that was what, nine years ago that we passed this and, not, not hardly a week or a month goes by where still to this day, somebody doesn't stop me on the street or in the store or send me a message on social media saying, you know, being able to marry the person we loved or our kid or our grandkid being able to marry the person they loved has made immeasurable changes in our life and made our state so much better. And thank you. So sometimes I don't think we, we really take the time to think about when we're elected officials, um, you know, just the vast impact of the things we do. And you know, think about, uh, you know, folks like uh, Lisa Hernandez and Delia Ramirez and the Latino caucus, who for the first time in the last couple of years have been able to get uh, uh, you know, health care. 
for a, a, a lot of the folks that are undocumented, but you know, who are residents of Illinois. And you know, the improvements we've made in criminal justice reform and the things we've been able to do for seniors to better their lives. And it, it's important, I think, to step back and just reflect on you know, the good we've been able to do people. You've also spent a lot of time pushing healthcare legislation. We talked a little bit about the the homeless legislation you've worked on throughout your career a little bit earlier. What do you feel like was the most important legislation you got passed on the healthcare front? Uh, simply, I, I think the, the biggest thing was expanding the Medicaid program, making sure it was it is better and better funded, and there's a lot more work to do on that. Uh, so that people who are on Medicaid have the same kind of access and same quality of care as folks who are uh, in private insurance. And when I started in the General Assembly, there was sort of a view that, oh, my God, you know, Medicaid is this growing liability and, you know, we have to curtail it. Um, and we were able to switch that whole narrative around. And, you know, in the last couple of years, we have added like billions of dollars, literally billions and billions of dollars to the Medicaid program, not through any increases on taxpayers, but through on industry assessments and, you know, which bring more money back to providers and also, you know, bringing in, you know, billions of dollars of federal match. So I, I think we're doing it much more smart. Um, like I said, there's still a lot more work to do. This year, this last year, we made the largest increase in mental health and substance abuse funding in the state's history, you know, uh, you know, about you know, $400 million uh, in new funding because there's just so much more need now, especially following you know, the COVID epidemic where you know, everyone's struggling. And on the private healthcare side, um, we put in place network adequacy standards so that every insurance company has to offer the different specialties. They have to be close enough that people can actually you know, get to them within a certain amount of time. Um, they have to be taking appointments. So, you know, th there's a, a lot of things in just making healthcare more accessible and affordable that I'm really happy I got to be a part of. You've also been the face of budget negotiations in the House and as you kind of alluded to there, there's really no denying some of the significant financial improvements that this state has made under Governor Pritzker's administration over the last few years. As you leave your job crafting the budget, what is the most important thing for state lawmakers to keep doing to keep the state on the right financial path right now, especially if in future years revenue starts to become more normal and spending catches up with revenue levels? Well, I, I think right now the biggest thing that that's confronting everyone is just the uncertainty. I mean, in, in some years you can sort of look at your revenues or expenses and you can you know, predict they will either go up or down in a fairly you know, stable, you know, somewhat foreseeable manner. But now, you know, we have so much uncertainty in the world, you know, our own economic situation at home. You know, there's talk of recessions. Um, you don't know how it impacts around the world, whether it's in the, the war in Ukraine or COVID in China, you know, could suddenly you know, throw, you know, unexpected, you know, you know, convulsions into the market. So, you know, to me, it's being watchful, you know, 
you know, trying to be prudent in planning how we spend, you know, don't get too far ahead of ourselves and looking at either revenue or expenses, uh, making sure that we maintain the fundamentals, you know, continuing to keep our bills paid down, continuing to make our payments for our pensions and more if we have it, continuing to uh, uh, contribute, contribute to the rainy day fund. But then, you know, making strategic decisions about the revenue we have left to put into things that directly benefit people on the ground back home. Yeah, because right now I think you know helping families and helping communities and you know helping cities, uh, helping our nonprofit agencies, you know, with all their struggles, is where we ought to be putting you know whatever discretionary money we have. Um, so I, I I think those are things to to watch. Yeah, it's not it's not always easy to cut spending because spending goes to important things that people really value, especially if you're, you're the agency or the nonprofit who's on the beneficiary of those funds. I guess my question is then, you know, how do you balance keeping spending at, at a level that matches the revenue, especially, you know, as people continue to ask for more funds to, to fund the services that they provide? Well, that that's a, that's a really tough exercise, and one that you know the House and the Senate and the governor go through every year of trying to arrive at you know what is a good approximation. You know, budgets are always approximations, so you do the best you can with the information you have available. You know, I think we've always tend to be on the careful side in the last couple of years, making sure that. You know, we, we do not spend more than we have just because we're afraid that, you know, there, there could be some cataclysmic thing that could drive our revenues down suddenly, as you know, we saw at the beginning of COVID. So, you know, if we plan for the worst and hope for the best, you know, we, we've done fairly well doing that. And we've been able to pass supplemental appropriations when we had the money available to do more and different things. And also keeping in mind that, if you make a spending decision, you know, we're a big state with, you know, really diverse communities and a lot of needs. And we've got to be sure that as we make decisions, that we're being respectful of, you know, all corners of our state and, you know, all segments of our populations so, so that, you know, everyone shares in our success. Now, to wrap up a little bit here, um, I'm wondering if you have any details you might just be able to share on how the house works. If there's any insight in, that you can provide as far as the legislating process, how bills come out, when they come out, any imparting wisdom for everybody? Um, I if, I don't know if I have that much wisdom, but I, w- I would say the thing I always did was I picked some really priority pieces of legislation for me um, and, and for communities I serve. I did my homework to be sure they were the best I could be when I introduced them. Um, listened to voices pro and con and different suggestions and amended them to make them better. And uh, uh, always was able to count to 60 and 30 when we went to pass them. And that's probably the biggest wisdom you need as a legislator, 60, 30, and one. Yeah, sometimes there's, especially now that, Democrats have are going to have 78 members in the House next year, that there's an this impression that Democrats can just push through any piece of legislation. How how much in reality is that actually how difficult can it be to get those 60 votes, even when you just need that simple majority? 
there are, you know, lots of things that, you know, we're all going to agree on, that all Democrats are going to agree on. Um, there may be some where there are differences. And, you know, we're all sent there to represent our districts. And, you know, different parts of the state or different segments of the population may, you know, react differently in favor or in opposition uh, to a, a particular piece of legislation. And you got to work through those issues. You got to listen to your colleagues and you got to take, you know, what they want into account. Um, but I think, you know, w- w- when you're talking about the direction the state's going in, about taking care of people and health care and our schools and our workers, those are things Democrats are going to, you know, rally around. And, you know, we may have to find some you know, different you know, paths to get there. But in the end, we're always going to get there. House Majority Leader Greg Harris, thank you so much for coming on the Cloutcast today and best of luck in retirement and whatever's next for you. Thank you. Greg Harris's last day in the House was on January 10th. In the final days of Harris's tenure leading the House, lawmakers passed several high-profile measures including an assault weapons ban, bill with additional abortion protections, and legislation establishing a minimum of five days of paid leave for all workers in Illinois. Harris also had one last chance to pass a budget bill, as lawmakers passed an additional spending plan for this year with money for the governor's closing fund, boost to additional funding for health care services, an additional payment into the rainy day fund, funding to support migrants being sent to Illinois from Texas, and pay raises for lawmakers, constitutional officers, and agency directors. Harris was replaced in the House by Han Wynn in the Northside House District. House Speaker Chris Welch named Robin Gable, a Democrat from Evanston, to become the new House Majority Leader. Representative Jahan Gordon Booth, a Democrat from Peoria, will lead budget negotiations for House Democrats. This episode of the Cloutcast was produced and edited by me, Ben Zielinski. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Cloutcast.